there is no denying that women are, you know, the rise of women has occurred. Um, I believe that there's a very special reason for it, you know, looking at the timing, and that's to do with the centering the new millennium. But forget about that. Just look at, I talk about conscious feminism, how you've got to be really careful not to be, a, a, you know, not to be a bitch, but to be, uh, you know, use conscious energy to do the sorts of things you want to do. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. I'm Kashania Carnegie and I'm a moral philosopher with a PhD in conscious change, uh, the ethics of conscious change. And I'm also the author of the Conscious Change series of books. And I'm here with uh, Sylvia and me. Kashana, thank you so Hi, much for Sylvia. being here. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. And um, it's not that you're just around the corner. You're in, where are you located? I'm, I'm in the state of Victoria in Australia. So it's the, well, the southernmost mainland state in Australia on the East Coast. Fantastic. So it's, it's actually right the opposite side of the world to you. Um, <laughs> See? Technology allows this to happen. Otherwise, mm. we probably never would have met. So, well, we wouldn't. And also, no. the other thing is, with COVID, we none of us would have left our, fr our front door. <laughs> and we are virtually leaving our front door and meeting some amazing people. Mm. And conscious change, ethicist, moral philosopher. Can you explain what you know to our listeners what that? means the ethicist or the moral philosopher part or both how about um, both <laughs> okay philosophy is is probably well not probably is the oldest form of um academic education uh, and moral philosophy is is one of the foundations you know there's the philosophy of science moral philosophy um, and, and a range of other different forms of philosophy as you go along. And it, it, the moral philosophy is more the academic underpinning of what is commonly known as ethics. So um, ethics, though, the interesting part about ethics uh, that I always love to tell people, it, because when I first started to study ethics, I didn't realise there were two different types of ethics. There's the uh, philosophy-based ethics, and there's also, in more recent times, has become a, um, uh, a social science form of ethics. But the difference is, and the way I always used to explain it to my, my philosophy, my, well, not my philosophy students as much as my ethics students, is I always use the analogy of a, an archer you know, a bow and arrow Bowen type arrow. archer on a driving range. And the social science-based ethicist works out why the person took up archery, uh, how they're able to judge 
which way to turn the, you know, which way to face because of the wind blowing. What are the um, things that will make the them hit the target more accurately? Um, whether they should um, turn at an angle, all these different things. That's what a social scientist does okay. in relation to ethics. The philosophy trained ethicist, which I am one, um, we provide the target. And so without that target, the social scientists could never work out why people do what they do. Okay. Um, one of the things I want to do before we go into your the, the conscious change today, um, yeah. which, which is uh, one of your newest books, COVID, Climate Change and the Rise of Feminine Energy, I'd like to talk about your backstory because yeah. it's very interesting. People sometimes think that um, philosophers and, and, and um, ethicists and, and so on, that they just go to school, they graduate, they get, you know, they'll get a, um, a PhD and then start practicing. Um, that is so far from <laughs> where your background is. So I, I understand that to begin with, you grew up on a sheep farm. Yeah, well, it started out as a sheep farm and then um, dad sold the sheep and went into dairy. Uh, so half the time we had sheep and the second half it was dairy. And why he did that, I have no idea because uh, running a dairy is so much harder I mean it's a twice day job you got to milk the cows whether you like it or not but anyway that's what he did until he um uh well he didn't my mother wanted to leave the farm because I had an older brother and an older sister and um, the sister had already left school she hated the country she was very very social uh, young person and so she left she stayed on the farm I think for three months or something and then she moved back to Sydney to live with my grandmother um, as soon as my brother left school he also left the farm and went to uh, to live with my grandmother and after about five or six years my mother you know wanted to get back to her children um, which you know included me but you know, that was another story. And so my father sold the farm, which totally destroyed him. Um, and then uh, we all moved back to Sydney, probably when I was about eight, eight or nine. And you left home at 15. Mm -hmm. Didn't you leave at oh. 15? You left school? Yeah, well, this is the thing. See, I you know um, no one in our family had a university education. And so I um, went back to Sydney, went back to, went to school there. Uh, and I left school in, uh, I think it's now called grade nine. You would call it, I think, yes. grade nine. Um, when I was 15, um, because uh, uh, the, the culture of the day in which I grew up was that girls got married and had children. That was there lot in life that was it um, and so I couldn't see any point in continuing uh, my you know my school education if that was what I had in store for me 
And so, yes, I left school, um, you know, did all the normal things. I went, I went to secretarial college, um, which was a disaster. So I ended up, they also had a bookkeeping division. So I did bookkeeping. And then um, at uh, the age of, oh, well, unfortunately, my father died when I was 16. Um, and I believe he died from undiagnosed depression. Um, because back in that time, that was in the 60s, uh, or the late, yeah, the early 60s, um, you know, depression and stuff wasn't even contemplated. Um, so he died at, uh, you know, when he was 65. And then the year later, my sister killed herself. And the year after that, my mother was pretty anxious to get rid of me. And so she basically talked me into getting married to a boy I'd been going out with for a while. Uh, and there was one time, you know, a few weeks before the wedding, I, I thought, I just can't go through with this. And so I spoke to the, uh, you know, the, the fiance, I guess, and said, <laughs> Look, you know, it's all off, it's finished, I just cannot continue. He broke down and started to cry and I couldn't handle that. I, you know, I was only, uh, I'd just turned 18. And so I went inside, said to my mother, look, this is just terrible. Don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't get married, don't want to get married. And keeping in mind that she'd been trying to marry me off from almost the second day I'd been going out with this fellow, and she said, I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. You will marry him, and I don't want to hear another word about it. The wedding invitations have gone out. You will marry him, and you will stay married, and that's all, and I don't want to hear another word, and off she walked, and that was the end of it. So I got married, and six weeks later, I walked out of the out of the out of the relationship um, because I didn't want to be married to him. Well, you know, from <laughs> from so very young, the there. and from there, then I went on, and I got involved in a couple of businesses. Um, but the real change in my life, and the most exciting thing, happened in the nineteen seventies. And in the nineteen seventies, I was living in Melbourne which is the capital city of Victoria. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was a, a, I was, I'd just come down here and was doing temporary work and promotional work and a bit of modelling and sort of thing. And there was an ad in the paper for the most fantastic job. It was as Australia's first female oil company rep. And I, you know, at that time in the 70s, I was unaware of the nasty things that fossil fuels can do to the environment. And I, um, so I applied for the job and there are literally hundreds of women throughout Australia that applied and I won. But um, let's 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 go back a little because, as you said, you left school in ninth grade, you went to secretarial school, you did some bookkeeping. How did you, you just mentioned there were quite a number of other females who were women who were there for the job yeah. and you, you got it. Mm -hmm. How, what do you think made you the one unique. that they chose? Yes. Made well, you unique. Um, made me unique. unique. The, um, <laughs> the difference between, or the time rather, 
uh, between leaving school at 15 and, and doing general office type work. And when I moved down to Melbourne was, uh, well, there was the marriage, get rid of that. There was a second marriage, um, which I didn't want to get rid of. Um, but at 20, um, I was uh, excommunicated from my family. So my mother had already gotten rid of me once as far as getting me married, but I ruined that by getting unmarried. Okay. Um, and then I started to work for my brother who had a business. And uh, I was obviously, I was running his office, doing all the bookkeeping, all that sort of thing. He could sell ice to Eskimos. So he was out on the road selling. And, uh, but unfortunately, he, how should I put this? He wasn't very good with money. And he was eight years older than me. So I was just the little sister who didn't know anything. And of course I was a girl, which didn't help. Um, and so uh, he, my, my father had left my mother very, very wealthy. In today's money, you know, a multi, multi-millionaire. And bit by bit, he talked my mother into giving him all of this money that my father had left my mother on the proviso that she divided it equally between the children. So half of it was meant to be mine. But instead of that, she uh, gave it all to my brother. I kept on saying to her, don't, don't do this. You know, the way it's going, business is going to fail. I could tell. And he was not impressed with my... Uh, with the way I was approaching it. And he made up a whole lot of lies and said I'd stolen all the money and I was the one responsible for the business failing and I must leave the company and never, ever, um, never, ever have anything more to do with the family ever again. Um, well, that's something else. So uh, it evidently didn't stop you. Well, well, no, I mean, that sort of finished that side of the family, so I didn't have that. Um, but uh, then from there, I was married a second time, which only lasted for, a, you know, I think a, a large part of the problem was um, I, had, uh, I had a miscarriage and things seemed to go downhill after that. Uh, and so he ended up leaving and... Uh, I was at the time living in what we call the outback in Queensland, which is right on the edge of the Simpson Desert. So in the very, very far west, southwest of the state of Queensland, which is the northern state. I've lived all over the country. Um, and I was live, uh, living there because I had nowhere else to go. I had no family to go back to. Um, I was sleeping under the stars. And uh, while I was there, or, you know, I'd been there about over a year, and um, a young uh, a geophysicist came to town uh, doing some oil searching. And so I, um, he needed someone to help him with his, with his work, with his photography work and his figures and all this sort of thing. And someone in town recommended that he have a talk to me because I was just sort of hanging about. And um, so I started to work with him. And after uh, when he was ready to leave, 
I had no reason to stay there, but he had given me a reason to leave that area, move down to Melbourne with him, which is where he came from. And that's how the, the Melbourne connection started. And it was whilst I was together with him that, uh, that the oil company job came up. And you became Australia's first female oil company representative. That's right, yes. And working you, with a number of, of men. No, working only They're with under, men. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. under, yes. Well, you see now this, this is, and this is where, even though I didn't obviously realise it at the time, but this is where my conscious change work began. Because I, um, you know, uh, the the um, training involved twelve months um, in the in a classroom plus in field work that the oil company gave me. It was like doing an executive MBA, the most brilliant training um, I've ever known as far as a, a job's concerned. And as the time came up when I was going to go into a te- into my territory. Everyone had advice for me. And bearing in mind, everyone was all men. And so the advice was, now there you go. You're a young woman. You go and you tell these blokes what to do. You tell them how to run their job. You tell, you know, <laughs> don't let them try and pull the wool over your eyes. And I'm listening and I'm, I'm thanking them very much for their interest, but saying to myself, this is insane. You know, you do not treat human beings in that way, especially a young woman who's just new to the whole thing. And some of these oil company dealers had been doing this for 50 years. Um, You know, who was I to tell them whatever? So instead I went and I um, said to them, you know, the first time I met them all, Now, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. What I'm here to do is to work with you. I'm your conduit to the oil company. Whatever you want, we'll work it out and I will get it for you. Somehow or other, I will get it for you because we have a common aim. And that common aim is to make you the most successful dealer you can possibly be. And because my job was basically a business coach before the idea of business coaching had ever been thought of, um, all I knew is I had to make them a success. And with the years I was doing that, every reporting period, every budget reporting period, my territory came in number one, which upset the men no end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and none of them and I and I never ever told them how I did it but I did it by being a nice person you know by treating these men with the total respect that they deserved you called Um, it feminine energy relationship building exactly and 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 it's true I mean we have a different way of approaching things and if we were to approach them the way they wanted you to we would be looked at as being not assertive but aggressive and and real witchy and and who you know who is she to tell us how to you know do these things you used 
empathy, you used business knowledge, you connected with these other people who were probably all men. Who were all men. All men. <laughs> well, after that, I mean, as you said, that's where you started um, conscious, conscious leadership, which, as you said, way before business coaching became a thing. Mm. Um, your next career was in media. That's right. Well, after I left the oil company, I did what I'd wanted to do all my life since I was a teenager. Um, I'm not quite sure why I loved radio so much, but I, um, I did a little bit of television first and then uh, um, it was a, a Me Too experience that ended my television career. Um, <laughs> before, before Me Too was me too, a, yeah. yeah, everything. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the leader, of vanguard, and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, before Me Too became a thing, uh, yeah, I was, I was co-anchor of the Brisbane. Um, this is on television. I was co-anchor of the Brisbane uh, Good Morning Brisbane mm-hmm. program. Um, but only for a very short time because I kept on running out of excuses as to why I wouldn't sleep with the producer. And finally, I thought this is all too hard. It is just too hard. And I left and went into where my first love was, which was radio. Um, as a teenager um, living in Sydney, I used to go to the radio. This was at the time of the Beatles. And I, after school, I would go into the city to all, to the different radio stations and I'd run errands for the um, the DJs that were on air at the time and I'd sit in the studio and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, so I, you know, did some, did some door knocking and writing lots and lots of applications and sending lots of t- um, audition tapes. And, yes, I got involved in radio, in talk radio, and um, I was doing that for, well, um, over well, about 14 years. And in 1988, I won. So the, the radio part was in the 80s. It was interesting because the last job with the oil company, that was the 70s. The 80s was all radio. And I, um, I, I, I won in 1988 the Australian Award for the Best Voice on Australian Radio, which was pretty exciting. And it wasn't for how I sat, well, in part, it was a little bit for how I sounded, but it was for how I spoke to my listeners and how I listened to my listeners and how I was able to communicate with them. Well, that goes back to, that goes back to your oil company experience how yeah. you related to the customers exactly. so well, they were my customers yeah the, your listeners were your customers yeah yeah okay and so that that continued and my radio career ended with another me too moment um <laughs> and <laughs> when, when a very powerful executive um uh, you know, I didn't come to the party with him and he said, look, you will never work in radio again. And I didn't. But, but as the universe would have, at that, oh, about there was about a six-month overlap, 
I had been able to apply to university. By this time, I was 40. And I was able to apply to a to university in Melbourne here and um, see if I could get a, a, a place that they were offering in university as a first year undergrad, not having completed high school. And it was, it was something, the window was for two years, the year I applied and the year after. And after that, for whatever reason, they closed it down. Um, so I got in and started my uh, academic career, which lasted um, about 12 years as well, uh, or the equivalent of 12 years. Um, but I did, um, there were three, three postgraduate degrees that I did concurrently because um, I was so keen to get on to my PhD. So I did these three degrees concurrently. And then I started to teach until the, and I was teaching in Australia, teaching overseas in Singapore and Hong Kong, until the, uh, what most of the world called the global financial crisis occurred. In America, I think you called it the Great Recession. And the Great Recession came along, all my work was canceled um, and, so over a period, over the next 18 months or so, uh, I lost my house, I lost my job, couldn't get in because no one was hiring at that time, that's for sure. Um, so I lost my job, couldn't get another job um, and lost my house, lost my money, went bankrupt and ended up almost living in my car with my dog and two cats. Um, and then I met someone in town. I was living in a country town, little country town in far North Queensland. And uh, I, I didn't know this man well, but I was so desperate. I was two days away from moving into my car. And I said, what on earth? I said, all I've tried to do is just help people. And this is happening. I mean, in two days time, I've got to move out of the rental house I'm in. and move into my car and I said what on earth do you think is happening he was a very spirit I knew him not very well I'd only met him once or twice and he was a very spiritual man he still is a very spiritual man and he said well look he said it's interesting because only this morning I had a he had a farm out of town and he had two cottages it was only this morning that I had a call from someone who was going to move into one of my cottages to say, look, they'd found something more appropriate. They didn't really want to live on a farm. They found something more appropriate. Would you be, I'd be more than happy if you came and lived there for a while, rent free until you get yourself sorted out. He said, but you better come and check it and make sure it's, it's suitable. And I thought, yeah, well, um, <laughs> if it's big, bigger than my car, it will be suitable. But to keep him happy, I went out that afternoon and we organised that and that's where I stayed for about four years um, while I worked out what on earth was going on in my life. So, and so hang on. Interesting. At each step of the way, the universe yes. has stepped in and just saved me from falling off the cliff. But you didn't let yourself fall off the cliff. Well, you, no. you kept pushing and pushing and pushing 
And, and you did it. I mean, so what I'd like to do is now get into, because that's kind of the buildup to your conscious change series of books. Yeah. And I'd like to ask you, what even got you started on that? Um, was it this experience where all of a sudden you see you're going to be living in your car, but at that particular moment, something took place, an event that led you on to a different journey? I think probably the most important thing to start with is what is conscious change? What does it mean? What's it about? Because the word conscious, as, as you're probably aware, generally is considered to be awareness. Um, the word conscious means if you're conscious, you're aware. You're aware of something. The question is, what are you aware of? And it was in the early 2000s that the, uh, the first book um, using the term conscious, it was called Conscious Business, that came out, 2002, I think. And then uh, the, the few uh, years after, there was a really fantastic paper on conscious capitalism. Uh, a book on conscious capitalism came out. And really, this conscious movement had begun. What I discovered was that no one and, and, and today, there are lots and lots of books. There's conscious business, conscious capitalism, conscious leadership, conscious parenting, conscious consumerism, conscious uh, uh, communication. They, they talk about their own specific area, leadership, business, communication, whatever. They don't talk about what conscious is. And what conscious, but, but in reading all these books, I thought, Goodness me, I know what all this is about. This is all about ethics, plain and simple ethics. And I'd done over 12 years academic study as an ethicist. <laughs> so in my, in my little country cottage where I wasn't paying rent um, and didn't have a job except for doing things for the man who owned the place, I used to mow the grass, all the, the grass in the house paddock and, you know, fix his fences and do odd things like that. Now, other than that, though, I had a lot of time on my hands, as you can probably imagine. And I, I, um, I became my best life coach for myself. And I, I thought, well, first of all, I kept saying, what on earth is wrong with my life? Why has all this happened? What am I here to do? And to me, this is one of the most important questions anyone can ask themselves. Um, what am I here to do? What is my purpose in life? I, I firmly believe that we all have a purpose. It's how... Um, how much we want to chase that and find out what it is and then embrace that purpose. And so as part of me life coaching myself, um, I, uh, <laughs> I thought, now, what are the common, and because I'm very big on looking for patterns in life, yep. what are the common um, patterns and things in my life? And when I look back, there was, um, and by this time I'd learned all about 
the conscious movement. Um, and when I look back, there was my oil company work in which I was using conscious leadership and conscious business skills, my winning the award for radio in which I was using conscious communication skills. Um. I went on to teach and my, my PhD, my doctoral thesis is called Heart-Centred um, Virtue Ethics, Raising Ecological Consciousness in Organisations. So my PhD, as if, if the conscious movement had been around when I submitted my PhD, it would have been a PhD in the area of conscious change. Um, and I thought, hang on a minute, everything I do is to do with conscious, basically conscious change. And so from there, that's what got me started in this conscious change area. I wrote a number of books. I did a lot of research because, as I said, I had a lot of time on my hand. <laughs> um, I couldn't escape from the country, from that rural area that I lived in, because I had no money. And I was living on social welfare payments, which um, put you below the poverty line. Um, and so I did what I do best, and that was researched and wrote. And the books I wrote... Um, didn't do very well at all and then once again the universe brought me a, a book marketer man and he said let's have a look what you've been doing so I showed him one he said do you realize Kashonia that everything you've written including your doctoral thesis all have the word conscious or consciousness either in the title or in the subtitle oh Yes, you're right about that. <laughs> I couldn't see the wood for the forest for the trees. And he said, look, he said, what you've got to do is update them all, revise them all, restructure them all, and put out the Conscious Change series of books. And the Conscious Change series of books was born. Okay. Yay! <laughs> and your newest one is um, Conscious Change Today. COVID, climate change, and the rise of feminine energy. Well, actually, that's not the newest one. That was the first one I wrote last year. Oh. Um, since, yeah. And I say in the latest um, edition of that, in the very beginning, the first paragraph um, of that, I say something like, uh, this, this book is a bit like my life. Um, it started out as number one and has now been put at the very last <laughs> book in the series. But it's had a lot of positives as well because I had it's won a lot of awards, international book awards. It's got some great reviews. And uh, so after writing that and putting it out um, and, and reworking it because of COVID, uh, since then I've put out... Um, what I believe is the, well, in one respect is the most important book, and that's Conscious Intelligence Competencies, which is taking emotional intelligence to the next level. Emotional intelligence came out in the 90s, and it was one of the foundation theories of my PhD. Um, but we've passed it. 
we must now look at the relationships at, that we're all involved in relationships, in relationships with ourselves, with others, and with the world, and with especially the environmental world. And so there's that one. Uh, then the companion book for that is Conscious Self-Discovery, which is up there. But to me, um, the, the book that I love is Conscious Meaning in Your Life. And it's about how to find or, um, or how to yeah, find, um, develop a meaningful life and how to have a meaningful life and the incredible benefits that come and how to find your purpose. And so that's what the first book now, when, that, when I wrote that, I thought I've got to make that number one. <laughs> that, that is the most important thing. You cannot move forward in life without knowing that. If That's you right. don't know what your meaning is, um, you really, you're just floundering. Um, mm. It's so if you had one thing that you wanted to uh, have our listeners uh, take away, what would be the most important thing you'd want to say? No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, and, and people say, you know, because people have said, oh, you know, um, I can't go to university now. I'm 40. Well, I started as a first year undergrad at 40. So did my um, mother. <laughs> I'm in my 70s now. And in my uh, early 70s, but, but, you know, I'll be 72 in a few months' time. Um, the most important thing, and, and, you know, and I've lived a life that <laughs> I wouldn't wish I'm the worst enemy. In many, in many respects, but it's what you said oh, a little while back, keep pushing. We're not pushing, that may be the wrong um, you know, impression, but keep working at it. Never give up, never give up. Uh, find out what you're meant to do. And with the, the key phrase I use with this conscious change is it's all about we, not me. And so look at how you as an individual can help the, the greater good, the greater, whether it's the, the person who lives up the road or whether it's your community or whether it's your planet, but find your purpose, which is what you love, whatever you really love, yeah. go after it and never give up. Well, it's perseverance. You have to, you have to keep, at it That's um right. yeah and as you said go after what you love and not everything that we found that we were passionate about when we were younger is what we're still passionate about and we have to remember to grow with that mm -hmm. and 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 take it because there's always a little kernel of something as we're going along and that's to me is is what um what uh, getting older, not old, but getting older and having a little bit more knowledge of who you are and, and taking that and using that. Um, and first being able to appreciate what you want to do, because what, you know, once you do that, as you said, it, it will then rub off. I mean, you don't have to have huge grandeur. I'm going to change, you know, the world. It starts here and then it moves and, and it's just contagious. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not only contagious, and it's the right. You know that we talk about contagion at this 
<laughs> over the last 12 months. Probably not the best word. Not the but best it, word. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does build up not only within you, but it can it, it can be um, contagious and, and uh, infectious and infect other people. <laughs> we'll, we'll have In to the come most up positive with, way. Yes. We'll, we'll make up a word and get it into the Webster's Thank Dictionary. Yeah. Sonia, where can people um, find more about you? Yeah, well, they can find more about me on my website, um, which is ConsciousChangeToday.com. And um, uh, but a wonderful place to start, especially, you know, because uh, your audience are primarily women. Um, I do uh, not only invite, but I implore any women listening to download a copy. It's a free copy that I've put up specially for you. Free copy of my book. There we go. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> Conscious change today. And this is the, the one, um, you know, from me to we, COVID, climate change and the rise of feminine energy because it talks very specifically about this rise in feminine energy I offer a theory and whether people agree with it or not, I don't care. <laughs> there is no denying that women are, you know, the rise of women has occurred. Um, I believe that there's a very special reason for it, you know, looking at the timing and that's to do with the centering the new millennium. But forget about that. Just look at, I talk about conscious feminism, how you've got to be really careful not to be, a, a, you know, not to be a bitch, but to be, uh, you know, use conscious energy to do the sorts of things you want to do. Um, and I talk about conscious masculinity in the book because if ever there was a time when men have, you know, not all men, but a lot of men need to rethink the cultural life and the culture in which they grew up, that time is now. And we're seeing so much evidence of this shift um, from this, the masculine command and control, domination, power over energy and the incoming ethical uh, kindness, compassion, partnership type energy. So you'll be able to download the book by going to consciouschangetoday.com slash forward slash um, cct dash gift. Okay. All right. Kashanya, thank you so much. This has been exceedingly interesting. Um, and keep, keep at it. Um, again, Thank you for joining us, uh, joining me here today. And I look forward to further communication. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I wish all your listeners the, the very best. Stay safe at this time and, and just keep at it. Thanks. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Join me next week when I talk to another extraordinary, inspiring woman. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, 
the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.